Exodus 31. There's a book, um, Veith, Gene Edward Veith, V-I-E-T-H, and it was a Christian view of the arts, and it was from Bezalel to Maplethorpe. But Bezalel, look at it here in, in chapter 31. There have been artists throughout history. There have been musicians throughout history. There have been people who are gifted at certain tasks throughout history. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship. Wow. What if God gave you your skill? He has. He has given you your skill. He's given you the raw materials, the desires. You might have pushed it aside and tried to do something else. Some of you have landed where it feels really right to be where you're at. Some of you are where God wants you, but it doesn't feel right. You're pushing against that. Some of you, you've put yourself in a position where it's maybe not exactly the right fit, and you sense God kind of guiding you to do something else. Whatever it is, in Bezalel's case, he, he gave him understanding, wisdom, knowledge, and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed him with Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of not just those two, look, all who are skillful, in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. Very specific task in a very specific time, but I believe the principle applies throughout history. To make all that I've commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the mercy seat upon it and all the furniture, the tent, the table also and its utensils and the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering also with all its utensils. I mean, it's just... they. God gave them skill, and they used it for a particular time and place. Now, jump to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. So you say, well, why? Maybe that's just Bezalel. No. Now, in Ephesians 6, it doesn't say the same exact things that it said back in Exodus, but there's a principle here for us as well. You say, well, Ephesians 6 is about spiritual warfare. That's true. That comes later in the chapter. But early in the chapter, verse 5, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh. As doc, uh, I keep calling him Dr. Keith. He, he'll be a doctor, hopefully soon. He's still working on that. Uh, Pastor Keith said that um, Paul is not endorsing slavery. Right? He just recognizes that there are such things as slaves and there are such things as masters. And in our day, it would be better to say employees and employers. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, 
not by way of eye service as men pleasers. It's easy to put on a good show, you know, for your boss when he's around, but that's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does. Now, he's talking to the slaves. He's talking to employees in their work. He's not necessarily saying when a slave shares the gospel or when a slave leads a Bible study or... He's talking about when you make your widgets, right? When you're on the assembly line, when you're scattering seed, when you're plowing, when you're driving that dump truck, whatever you do. Whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them. All of this is summed up in in the golden rule in Matthew 7, where he says, however you want people to treat you, treat them. If you're a master, if you're an employer, treat your employees the way if you were an employee, you'd want to be treated fairly. If you're a a servant, an employee, treat your master, your boss, the way that you would want your employees to treat you. And give up threatening knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. God is not impressed that you're a boss and that you own X number of whatever. He's he's so unimpressed with that. He's pleased if you do it well and he's pleased if you're digging ditches and doing that well. We need some good ditches around Texas, don't we? Because it floods all the time here every time it starts raining. So so I'm trying to give you some background before we open it up, and we're going to start talking back to each other. A couple of other things. Um, Comfort is not our goal. It's not that we can just finally, it's my goal. It's what I do, right? I try to get everything in place, sit down, now I'm comfortable, right? This is here, got my coffee on this side, got my remote control on this side, got my book, my laptop. How is that productive? Well, if I get everything perfect, then I can be productive. It's never gonna be perfect, right? Well, I've gotta get $2 million in the bank by X amount of day, and then I can retire, and then I, great. Please plan ahead. Do the whole Dave Ramsey thing and plan ahead but don't put your hope in that, okay? Your hope is in God. God gives you wisdom, right? He gives you brain power and everything else to save up for the future. But the goal is not so that we can just be comfortable and hit that fishing line and or golf or whatever. I mean, that's really not the goal. Go fishing, go golfing. Figure out ways to go fishing and golfing to the glory of God, not to just sit and be comfortable and do nothing. And you could be retired, or you could be 14 and a half, going on 15 years old, or anywhere in between, and go, see, we live in a culture of leisure. All we, we just want more and more leisure. I want to play more video games and go on more trips and have more leisure and more comfort, 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 stuff, stuff, stuff. That's not our calling. God has put skill in our hearts 
to do some things and we have to work it and work it and work it and hone it and it's and and we do have a uh, the freedom to take a break and to be comfortable and to have rest and to meditate and to worship and all of that but it's so that we can be fueled to go back to work most people are going to spend out you know the most waking hours of their life are going to spent be spent working you might as well just go yeah that's and, and, and there's futility in some of it because of the curse in the garden. Thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and by bread you shall eat by the sweat of your brow. And, you know, and so there's, there's a, a curse involved, and it's okay to try to minimize and minimize and minimize that and to make the society flourish. Where am I going with all this? God's given you skill. He's given you a, a purpose. Most of us are not going to be vocational preacher, pastor, missionary ministers, and our work can be, should be, and is one of our ministries. As a boss, as an employee, as a partner in a firm or whatever it is, bank, as someone who's retired, as someone who's in school, as a, as a, ch as a child. So with all of that in mind, with everything, if you were here at 8.30 this morning that I've said, share with me um, specifically in your vocation, in your work, either that you did or that you do, right? You may be retired. You did it or you do it. How has your work been done as unto the Lord? How has it been done in a way that helps people, that points people to Jesus. Just give me an example. And because some of you are going, I don't know how to do my work as unto the Lord. Please help me, show me. So let's start with those who have done and have seen that they've been able to do their work as unto the Lord. I'll give you one example. Um, the guy, I, the Kern, the Kern family, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Kern up in Wisconsin or somewhere. I don't even know where, where they live. They're older now. And they've got a billion dollars in a foundation that they're trying to spend before they die and help people do some things that are really helpful and important. He, he started a, genera uh, a generator company in his younger days out of his garage. And that generator company grew and grew and grew and grew called Generac. And they made generators. And he got patents and he made all of these wonderful things. And then he sold the company for a lot of money and invested it, and now he uses that to be a blessing to people. But when he had the company, he blessed his employees, gave them a bonus every now and then, gave them, helped them because they did so much of the work that he would give them a good wage, fair price. You know, um, When he sold the company, they got a piece of it. How do you bless your employees? How have you been a blessing to your boss? How have you used your vocation as ministry? Or maybe you know someone else. You use that vocational component as a way to remind people of who God is and his uh, work in their life. I have a friend who owns a light bulb company he owns a company called 1000bulbs.com. His name is Kim Pedersen. I went out to see his facility. He's got an office space, and then he's got a warehouse, and they're separate. So he showed me all of his offices, and then he showed me the warehouse. 
And we were walking through, and he goes, that guy over there is Mormon. This guy over here is an atheist. This guy over here, his, his you know, so-and-so and his family just passed away. He knows, he walks through, his, he's the owner, and he walks through his warehouse on a weekly basis, and he gets to know his employees, and he prays for them. And so he was introducing me to these people, and I was getting to share Jesus with them. And at the end, we were at lunch. He's like, you want a job? He goes, you can come be my chaplain. He's like, come, come to the warehouse and, and be the chaplain. He said, I'll pay you more than whatever they're paying you over there at the college. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time, I had just agreed to do some other stuff at the college, and I really sensed and still sense that that's where God wants me. And so I started thinking about who I could recommend for him to be a chaplain. And it uh, turns out he, he got somebody. And um, he uses his ownership of this company as a platform to bless his employees, to share Jesus, and to give them a good working environment. Now, if he were to go in there and just pray for his employees, and then he left the working conditions to be horrible, that would be completely hypocritical. And probably you give him a good tour and give him a good quality product and share God with them through, through prayer. How else do you do it? Here, those are just some examples. And it was a receptionist position? Yes. Yeah. So our receptionist at Criswell College is a guy named Drew. And when Jenny, who now works for me on the third floor, she was amazing, but we knew that she needed to be doing some other stuff. She was great doing that. She, and, and she loves interacting with people. It was hard to fill her shoes. The receptionist position is huge. When somebody walks in and that's the first face or the first interaction that they see, when it's a believer who knows how to interact and put a great face on a church or a school or a company, I mean, you can do that receptionist job as unto the Lord. Starbucks is not, doesn't have the most conservative employees, <laughs> you know, to put it mildly. I have a friend who works, uh, he's an executive with Barnes & Noble. And when we get together and have coffee every couple of weeks and pray together, he always prays, Lord, please open doors for us to share your truth with the lost. And uh, Barnes & Noble is anything but a Christian company, you know, and some of you work for some of the airlines or some of you work for, you know, other places. Um, I was at Macy's in, at the mall, and I was picking up some pants that the boys had had they had to have them hemmed up, so I was like, let me go get the pants. And I went back, and it was a different person than sold us the suits. And I could hear her, you know, 20 feet away, people would come through, and she'd say, oh, man, thank you, okay, thank you, yeah, here's your, God bless you, have a great day. She was just little ways for her to open the door, God bless you, have a blessed day, right? Not have a good day, have a blessed day. Now, we can't just sort of go, okay, I'll have a blessed day. I mean, the blessing comes from God. We just, we can choose to receive his blessing or see it as a blessed day, but it's a way, just little things that we say and how we say it can draw attention away from us to the Lord. So give me another couple good examples, and then I'm going to ask you, are you in a place right now where you're struggling with how to live out your faith? It's a tough time for you right now at your work to live it out. Yeah. Okay. Different parts of the body, now this is regarding spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. There are different parts of the body with different gifts. 
But there's, a, but there's a similar application to different skills, skill sets and abilities within the church and within society. Anybody having a tough time or you know somebody who's having a tough time living out or understanding in, the, in what God has called them to right now, whatever that, it may be a job, a volunteer position, a non-paying uh, position, and you're, they're having a tough time going, how is this worship? How is this ministry? How, how do I live Christ in this situation? And how about putting the product or the service on display for the quality thing that it is and pointing out all the wonderful benefits that, hey, I'm just telling you, this, this product, this service would really be a blessing. Yeah. Any, anybody who's been in sales that has seen God work and that can speak into his situation? Other situations where you or someone you know is struggling to understand, how can this possibly be an act of worship? How can I live the next week or month or year in this scenario, in this job or this stage of life where it's really tough to know I want to do this unto the Lord. Yeah. So a lot of supervisors, a merger, uh, you're doing sort of IT, and um, wondering, what am I doing? Am I just sort of spinning my wheels? Am I just going in every day, punching a clock, cleaning up messes, you know, technical messes? What would you tell them? In, in a loving and kind and very humble way, right? Like maybe this or maybe that. What, what could be helpful? I mean, we have IT guys at our school at Criswell College, and it's a little easier for them because it's a ministry, right? And they feel better about it. There's a book uh, called The Pastor's Guide to... Fruitful Work and Economic Wisdom, The Pastor's Guide to Fruitful Work and Economic Wisdom. It's not so that pastors can do fruitful work and have economic wisdom. It's so that pastors can understand the majority of their people and what they do from Monday through Saturday. And it's free. It's a free book. You just go to madetoflourish.org. Right? It's the Made to Flourish group, madetoflourish.org. Or you can type in Pastor's Guide to Fruitful Work and Economic Wisdom. It's a free download. It's edited by um, Drew Cleveland and Greg Forster. And there are articles in there from lots of different thinkers about faith and work. Amy Sherman is one of the authors. And Amy Sherman, I've gotten to hear her speak and met her, and she works at, a, at another think tank somewhere out on the East Coast. Um, She's a believer, and she tries to address these sorts of issues, Corey. Let me tell you what she wrote. I was going to read this earlier, but I ran out of time in the first talk. title of her article is Made for Work. This is the Pastor's Guide to Fruitful Work and Economic Wisdom. And I'm quoting here, Medical personnel have opportunities to advance wholeness. Business entrepreneurs have opportunities to promote economic flourishing. And artists have opportunities to promote beauty. Sometimes the exercise might be a bit more challenging, 
Either way, it helps us to think about living the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, through work itself. We should be workers who display the character of Jesus, workers who abide in Jesus and draw upon his strength for fulfilling our labors, and workers who speak words of truth about Jesus and his kingdom, words both comforting and invitational as well as prophetic and confrontational. So comforting and invitational, hey, Jesus is there for you. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, like we heard last night. But there is this thing called truth, and if you reject it, you die and go to hell. Somehow to be prophetic and confrontational and still invitational and compassionate. But living out our faith, quote, on the job, is not only about the kinds of workers we are or the kinds of relationships we pursue at work, it's also about the work itself. The work itself matters. And if there's some way to get that into our psyche throughout the day, that what I'm doing here really matters for this company to create a product that's better, that's exceptional. So let's say nobody ever gets saved through your direct interaction with them or through the product, right, or the service that's being provided. Still, if you do an exceptional job at work, society's better off, right? You're causing there to be competition, which lowers prices, which helps people be able to afford something that they need or want. And if you do it in a moral and ethical way, and if the company does that, then society is better off. And when society is better off, you're back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Peaceful, quiet, tranquil, godly, dignified life because God desires everyone to be saved. And when society flourishes and things are sort of running in a smooth way and there's peace and relative prosperity, then the gospel is a lot freer. I mean, the gospel is always free. Right? I need to be careful there. Whether there's persecution or whether there's difficulty, the gospel is always free to go forth. But it seems to me that in 1 Timothy 2, like I read to you earlier, pray for rulers and all who are in authority so we can live a tranquil, quiet, godly, dignified life because God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I, th I think there seems to be a direct progression there between peace and tranquility and the gospel moving forward and affecting people's lives. So it's not as obvious, I guess is my point, where you work nine to five or 10 hours or whatever it is, but it's there, right? Doing an excellent job. Lester DeCoster wrote a book, and I forget the title, but Greg Forrester references it in his article in that same book, uh, The Pastor's Guide to Fruitful Work and Economic Wisdom. And Lester DeCoster wrote a book for factory workers who were on an assembly line who went, it doesn't matter, this is not Christian. I mean, this is not godly work. I'm on an assembly line. And Lester DeCoster went, it matters. You're contributing to society in a way that matters, right? If, if, if Jesus wants us to help the poor, which he does, what's the most effective way to do that? Is it to just give them stuff? 
No, that doesn't work. It's a very short-term fix that sometimes is necessary. But long-term, they have, the poor have to get a job and have dignity and have self-respect and be able to give back and contribute to society. And when we make society better in our little corner of the world, if we do it with the right motives, we are fulfilling Christ's mandate to help the poor. It's easy to see when we just give somebody money or stuff. And sometimes you have to do it, right? You want to know them. I would never give money to strangers, right? I kind of know, want to know what they're doing. But that's a short-term minimal fix. The long-term fix is to help them contribute to society. And you do that with your IT. Other struggles or advice? Yes, ma'am. I don't think it means literally that you can't talk. I think it just means peaceful, that God can help you with that, right? I feel your pain on that. I feel your pain. Don't talk to my wife about my mouth. So you can pray and you can ask for help with that. You, you can look at biblical examples and then find somebody. Julie and I talk a lot when we struggle with different things. We go, well, well what are we struggling with? Well, who's doing that? And usually it's like the Hales, right? We go, oh, the Hales are doing it, right? Go to them, ask them, no. Like, who's modeling it for us? Who's doing it right? See if you can think of someone or find someone in your position or a similar position and go, that person seems to be doing it right. They have peace, they have, they're dignified, they're peaceful or quiet in a, in a sort of a metaphorical sense. God makes people that are sort of upbeat and boisterous and everything else, that's great. And God makes people who are more quiet. But that's not the quietness, I think. That's the, I think there's a, it's, it's a peacefulness to the family or the society or the company. Prayer, biblical examples, and real-life examples. Yeah. So the context matters, right? So, so we are in the United States. We are in Texas, one of the most prosperous states in the nation. And God may... You may be in a context in this country where God allows you to go to multiple different places. Don't feel guilty that people in other countries don't have that. Don't feel guilty about that. I took a mission trip to China with some Crystal College students. Uh, the first one time I went over there, and there was a girl, she was on the curb, one of our students, crying. And she said, I feel so bad. We were, we were out being tourists that day, and we were buying some stuff, tourist trinkets and things. And she's like, I feel so bad that I can spend 20 or 30 or $100 on, on souvenirs. And these guys, they're sleeping on wooden mattresses for their beds, ate to a room in the college that they go to. They're just dying to go to college. And she says, I feel so guilty. I said, then spend more money. Buy some more stuff in China. You're helping the economy. Right? I mean, seriously. I mean, so... So maybe you want to give a gift to that student, that Chinese student, and help them out. You shouldn't feel guilty that you're in such a prosperous land. You ought to figure out ways to help bring those other lands up and not to beat this land down. You evil, rich capitalist, you. Evil. You shouldn't make so much. No. Figure out ways to elevate everybody or more people. Right? But in our country, we have opportunity to move around from job to job. Somebody had a comment back here. The military is great for that, by the way. 
right? I, I did three years in the U.S. Army right out of high school, and it was, you know, Woodell, go pick up cigarette butts. Woodell, go pick up trash. Woodell, get down, get up, get down, get up. Crawl over to that toilet and back till I tell you to stop. I was in trouble that day. <laughs> Fill these sandbags, change this tire. Like, I'm an aircraft helicopter mechanic. Can I just do some hydraulic work? No, do this. Do, I mean, it's just, and you're going, well, they're not telling me to sin. And I am a Christian. And I do obey the boss. And it taught me discipline and obedience. And you, they say jump and you say how high. And, you know, there was a sanctification process there. Well, I hope that the specific applications today were helpful. I hope that uh, you'll go out of here thinking, how do I live my life to the glory of God in my specific vocation, which is just as important as coming to church and teaching Sunday school, right? You may have more of an opportunity to share the gospel teaching in Sunday school, but you need to know that all of it is required to make the world go round. And if all we do is go out and share the gospel and we let the lost world, um, you know, run the show, like let's say we become Christians and then we go, okay, I'm a Christian now. I'm only going to share Christ. I mean, who's going to run the country? A bunch of crazy people. Wait, wait, that's what's that? <laughs> right? that's happening now. So in education, in entertainment, in business, in the media, in the arts, in the sciences, believers have to be present as salt and light. And your IT matters in that regard. Father, we ask that you would guide us and give us wisdom to know how to apply what we've talked about. In Jesus' name, amen.